welcome to Unapologetic, a podcast about defending, not apologizing, for your Christian convictions. Today, I want to talk about human flourishing. Human flourishing. It's a topic that in some circles comes up often, and in others, the terms may just seem incredibly foreign. But what is human flourishing, and why is it something that we as Christians should think about? Well, simply put, the the kind of doctrine or idea of human flourishing would say that God created us as people to enjoy his creation and to flourish, to grow and to thrive and to improve and to enjoy each other and creation, to populate the earth and subdue it, but not in some type of mechanical fashion, but in a way where we are enjoying the good gift of life and existence and of creation around us. And that human flourishing occurs when we live according to God's design, when we live in accordance with the law of God. We flourish as people in an objective sense, not not just based on how we feel, although certainly our enjoyment is is often tied to our, our feelings, but in the way that things work, they are specifically designed for our good when we follow God's law. But one of the interesting things when we consider human flourishing is it's not just Christians who benefit from following God's law, oftentimes. Any person who lives according to God's design, in general, will flourish. Things will go well for them. And it's just interesting to me how many times the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, talks about how the law of God is perfect. It renews one's life. It talks about how the precepts of God are designed for our good, how they're lovely, how they lead to a flourishing and uh, an enjoyment, and how they lead to a full life. And now, yes, the author in the Psalms and in other places in the Old Testament, they are writing to people in the covenant community, people of faith. That's an important thing for us to keep in mind when we read our Bible, that the Bible assumes uh, that people are, are acclimated to and know the context of the biblical story. But one of the interesting things, and we can just see this when we look around, that people who live according to God's design often enjoy life better. And so I think of uh, some easy examples here, that the Bible says do not get drunk. And what do we see that is often associated with drunkenness? Um, harming other people. I think of people driving under the influence. Well, if you were to follow God's law, you wouldn't be getting drunk and you wouldn't be driving under the influence either. Both of these things would be avoided. And so life would be healthier and experience more flourishing if people followed that aspect of God's law. There's oftentimes also um, uh, abuse and rape and other things that come along with uh, with an abusive culture and dealing with, with uh, drugs or alcohol. Now, of course, not, not exclusively, um, but those things do correlate oftentimes and sadly. And once again, If we avoided that and we lived according to God's law in that area, then we wouldn't see nearly as much of that that harm and brokenness in the world. I also think of examples where non-Christians could follow God's law. For instance, homosexuality. That's something that breaks the law of God. And so when we we look at this as a society and we say, why should the Christians say that a non-Christian should only marry someone of the opposite sex? Why is that something that anyone else should care about? Now, we've talked about this before, and there are non-biblical arguments that make a lot of sense for um, heterosexual unions, but one of the reasons we as Christians should care about this, and it's the reason we should care about gender identity and those sorts of things, is because when someone is not living in accordance with God's design, it's actually worse for them. 
We talked about that last week with gender identity and how when we encourage people to think of themselves differently than they actually are, we are encouraging them in a lie, in a delusion, to see reality differently than it is, and it's bad for them. And with homosexuality, when we look at the life expectancy or the the incidence of disease or hurting or, or the lack of monogamy and the pain that that brings in that community, once again, not living according to God's design leads to, to hurt and pain and brokenness, all of which could be avoided if we lived according to God's design, even as non-Christians. And I think that's the interesting point about human flourishing is we acknowledge that God as the creator made us And so he knows best how we should function. And so when we live according to that, even if we deny the existence of God, it often goes well for us. Here's kind of an example to make that more clear. Let's say that you were someone who denied the existence of instruction manual writers. You denied the existence of instruction manual writers. So you thought that, yes, there are such things as instruction manuals, but you denied the existence of the authors of those. Now, that that could happen. That's incredibly implausible, and people would probably make fun of you. But you could still read an instruction manual and benefit from the instruction manual, even if you denied the existence of people who would create it. Is that an internally and logically consistent view? No, not at all. But... What you could do is you could know how to put that piece of Ikea furniture together if you were able to read the instruction manual, even if you deny the fact that there are people who write them. So you're able to live according to kind of the law of the Ikea furniture and put the object together, even if you deny where it came from. And that's what that's what the human flourishing is when it comes to the law of God. People all the time can benefit from living according to the instructions that God has laid out, even if they deny the existence of the instruction giver. And of course, with God, it's more than instructions. It's a moral law. It is a crime against God to break his law. But there's a flip side of that. The law is also there for our good. While it's an expression of God's holy character, it's also there because it goes well for us, even Christian and non-Christian, when we follow it. And this is an example of the common grace of God, where you don't have to be a God follower to benefit from how he designed you and how he made the world to work. The fact that anyone and everyone can enjoy this world is an act of grace by God for his creation. So while we should care about human flourishing, and while we should pursue that as an act of love for our neighbor and out of devotion to God for people, there are a couple dangers and concerns if, if we only focus on human flourishing. And that's often the lens that we take when we look at social and cultural issues. We, we can actually end up with kind of a deficient and anemic version of what God expects. And so there are two dangers I want to talk about. The first is that sometimes we can either see ourselves or give the impression of moral and improvement being the main thrust of the Christian message. Now, there are some denominations uh, and and whole whole sects of Christianity. Uh, For instance, mainline Protestantism oftentimes distills Christianity down to social good. It goes off the reservation in numerous directions theologically, but it distills it down to social good. In other words, to human flourishing in a way. Now, this is obviously not the gospel. And so we've taken a secondary thing and we've elevated it to a primary in this example. And in so doing, we've given the, the, the impression that the moral example of Christ is more important than the, the substitutionary work of Christ. And we, we've said that the moral improvement of people or the, the helping of society from a human flourishing standpoint is more important than hearts being transformed from the gospel. So that's a danger. Now, I'm not saying that all mainline Protestants believe this way, but there is definitely a trend there. 
And, and the danger for us often, who maybe are in more conservative circles, is that in attempting to care for our neighbor and love our neighbor, that we may actually give the impression that their, their flourishing as human beings is more important than their transformation by Christ. So should we care about gender identity and, and, and sexual um, issues today? And should we care about immigration? And should we care about, fill in the blank, re racial reconciliation and other issues? Yes, we should. Now, now, we may cash those out very differently. We may define our terms differently. But because we care about God and because we care about people made in his image, we should care about those issues. But here's the thing. We often focus on the issues so much that we, we make it seem like if you just behaved this way or if you just just agreed with me on this public policy point, or if people were just allowed to live in such and such a way, then things would be so much better. And from one perspective, they would, but from another, they would be no better. And in some ways, they might actually be worse. Because moral improvement is not the gospel. Moral improvement is an effect of the Spirit after someone has been transformed through the sharing of the gospel and the work of the Spirit in their life. So moral improvement is not the goal. It's a side effect of the goal, in some ways, you could say. So when we focus only on flourishing, if we do, or we give that impression to someone because we have not also presented the gospel to them, we have not presented accurately Christianity. So that's the first danger, that we would present or even ourselves come to see moral improvement as the main thrust of the Christian message when that is not it at all. Now, that necessarily flows from it. No moral improvement, I would say no presence of the Spirit, which means you're, you're most likely not a Christian. But moral improvement is not what we are preaching as a means to usher in some better age and era in society. So while following the moral law of God can be good for someone in terms of their flourishing, it does nothing to change their heart. And in some ways, actually, it could make them seem more self-reliant and not need to rely on Christ for his righteousness. So that's the first danger. The second danger here, or this is more of a concern, actually, is that um, in order to present a view of human flourishing that sounds compelling to someone, increasingly more and more, that person actually has to already have somewhat of a biblical worldview. And this, this used to be the case in a, in a Western society, that even the non-Christians generally held a biblical view of morality, that it was informed by that, that they had a, a set of Judeo-Christian values, and they saw the world through a, a biblical lens, even if they didn't think of it as being a biblical lens. And that's not the case today. So while we would say objectively that the best way for a man and a woman to flourish if they're going to be sexually active is in a relationship with each other and only with each other for life, in other words, a heterosexual marriage, if we're going to say that that is the, the best way for people who want to um, be in a relationship to flourish, that assumes a certain view of morality and marriage and the world. And today, people don't share that. And so what we would say and, and what is actually objectively good for human flourishing, some people would reject as oppressive. And isn't that interesting? That because of their worldview, the lens they use to see reality and process things and the categories they have for deciding what's moral and immoral, that human flourishing to some people looks like oppression and to others it looks like the grace of God. And so we have to understand that even if, yes, we are campaigning for, for even the non-Christian to benefit from the, the common grace of God in living according to his design, 
And hopefully that, that testifies to them about the goodness of God, that there is a creator, that what the Bible says actually resonates with reality. And when we follow the instructions and they work, it should make us consider, huh, I wonder if there's an instruction manual writer. Even if we do that, that assumes that the other person is going to evaluate what we are saying is the good moral law of God in the same way we do. And sadly, that is increasingly going to be less and less of the case, where we, we will have less and less common ground with what is considered to be good and moral in society. Just look at how many issues have changed in the last five years, in the last 10 years, and it will only continue that way. And in some ways, I think this is helpful because it weeds out people who may have just been nominally Christian, Christian in name only, or culturally Christian, which is, which is often somewhat of the same things, that we participate in the, the rhythms of Christianity, but without the heart change that comes by the Spirit and the belief in the gospel. So it's not all bad that we're losing this shared view with, with uh, society, but it is going to make life harder. And that takes me to my last danger. So the first danger, we can often present that moral improvement is the main thrust of Christianity when it's not. The second consideration or danger is that in order to see human flourishing as actually good, we have to have a shared biblical worldview, which often we do not. But the third thing is that we present this idea that Christianity means life is going to be good and easy. And I think actually Christianity internally struggles with this, with either um, the explicitly uh, prosperity gospel or the soft prosperity gospel that, that's becoming much more popular. But tagging on to my last consideration, if a society does not share a, sh a shared view of morality and a biblical worldview, often for Christians, um, they're not going to flourish as much. They're not going to have as much enjoyment of life. They might actually experience more and more oppression and persecution. So we're not guaranteed human flourishing if society is not living according to God's design. So in talking about human flourishing, we don't want to present this idea that Christianity necessarily involves flourishing for every individual, because in a non-Christian society, that will likely not be the case. So, to sum this up, yes, we should talk about human flourishing. Yes, we should care about human flourishing, because when people follow God's law, because he wrote the manual, it goes well for them. But we can often present moral improvement as the main thrust of Christianity, and it's not. We, we can also uh, get confused sometimes, I think, when people don't see flourishing the same way we see flourishing, because they have a different worldview and a different set of presuppositions. And lastly, we're we're not guaranteed flourishing in this life for, for every Christian. In a spiritual sense, yes, we are, and that will only continue to get better. But ultimate flourishing is only found in Christ. It's not generic to humanity. It's only for those who have been given a new heart and given a new nature and will ultimately be glorified with Christ forever. That is where true flourishing is to be found. Well, I will talk with you next week on Unapologetic.